So today we're going to take a look at this really, I think, a, a very culturally, culturally relevant um, question, and that is, um, is it true that, uh, that you, it doesn't matter what you believe, just as long, it doesn't matter what your creed is, what your doctrine is, that's really for fancy theologians and high-minded thinkers, but, but as long as you're sincere, you can just pick and choose what you want, you know, that's the good news, is that God just, all he cares about is that you're sincere, and we're going to ask this question, is that true? And we're going to look at the Bible, and we're going to walk through as we are about halfway through the book of Mark, if you wanted just to begin to turn to Mark chapter 8. Uh, that's where we're going to be today. And, you know, you're having a conversation with somebody uh, and, and, uh, or, you know, maybe you've heard a conversation like this where somebody says, hey, you know what? You know, you're a pretty good person. You treat your family right. You're a good person. You're giving. You're kind. You know, and, and so that's all it really takes. You know, it's going to turn out okay with you and God. Like, it doesn't, you know, I know that belief systems and there's like all that wrestling that other people do, but, you know, we're more involved in that now. And so, so all you have to do is just really be sincere and, and everything's going to turn out to get to, to, to okay. But like all roads, all roads lead to God. Uh, all religions are basically the same. And so that's, that's, the, uh, that's the concept that we're going to meet head on today because it is really one of the biggest culturally based lies about what God said. And so let me pray for us this morning. God, give us hearts of belief. Let us have faith in you and who you are and faith to see and to hear who you are from your word and then to consider you in a powerful way this morning that would increase our faith in you, whether we believe or are skeptical or are somewhere in the middle. God, some of us can see very clearly and some of us are very, very opaque in our faith. And so, Lord, I pray that we would um, come to see you and to know you in a way that that is absolutely 100% clear this morning as we open up your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you noticed that there's, uh, you go to a sporting event and, uh, you know, after the game, everybody's giving thanks to God for, you know, what they do. Oh, just thank God. You know, thank God did this for me. I mean, not, not all the time, but, you know, you hear it. It's very common, right? And in fact, um, spirituality, I don't think it's that unpopular. Right? I mean, you know, you just look at it in our culture where the Grammys and somebody's coming up and getting an award and they're like, thanks to God who helped me to do this. He gave me the talent. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm not knocking them or anything, but it's very common across the board to just include God as a matter of fact. And, and uh, you know, talk shows will go on all day long about spirituality and, and higher powers and, you know, all of that. Like, it, it's very, so, so when you're just like, generically talking about spirituality, in culture today, very acceptable. Uh, you, you know, if, if you walked around and you said, hey, I believe in God, somebody might say, you know, I, I disagree with that, but in, you know, not going to be too controversial. Not, not going to get you kicked out of, the, you know, of any clubs. Uh, well, maybe some, but for the most part, it's okay. But here's the thing. This is the point I want to make, is that once you talk about Jesus, when you bring, about, when you bring up Jesus, that's that's kind of where it gets interesting, right? Because as soon as you talk about God, and you can pour all kinds of, you know, it's freighted with all kinds of meaning, and you can you can pour into. But when you talk about Jesus, it's really narrow, and you know exactly who who you were talking about, and it gets interesting because all of a sudden people go, "Oh, Jesus! Oh, I know what that means," you know, and and so it just becomes weird and awkward. And so this is what I want to talk about today because uh, Jesus is a very misunderstood, uh, very misrepresented 
uh, and I want to say person, but he's obviously God, you know, so, um, and but today we're going to look at this idea of who Jesus is. Now, most people will say, you know, Jesus existed. In fact, even Jesus' greatest critics, his biggest detractors, wouldn't really say, very few of them say that he didn't exist. They will acknowledge he was a historical figure. They will say that he did exist in real life. Uh, Many will stop there, but others will go on, and they will say Jesus is not just a historical figure. He's actually a pretty good teacher, and with that, I would agree. So, you, you know, if you read the Gospels and the, the narrative of the Gospels, and um, if you stay away from the kind of the bloody stuff at the end, right, then you just kind of look at like Matthew 5 and 6, that's pretty radical stuff. You could look at that and you go, blessed are the poor in spirit, and just, wow, that's, Jesus is an amazing teacher. Many of the things that Jesus is teaching is unheard of and unlike so much of what's, what else has been written about and spoken about up until that time, and so Jesus, clearly pretty radical, pretty radical teacher, good teacher, and, and they love the aspects of Jesus, like helping the poor, being meek in spirit, lo- loving others. Those kinds of things are very compelling, very compelling about Jesus. Jesus is an enormously like attractive, compelling figure in history, right? He really is. I mean, you could put him up there with, you know, all, all sorts of other really shining examples of good moral teachers. You know, you've got your Gandhis and your, you know, and, and then Jesus and his, and, and so it seems like, you know, there are people there that will put him on a level plane field with all those other good teachers, and then that's, that's kind of where he sits there in, in that sense. But um, I want to take a look at the Jesus of the Bible, because it's, it's different than that. And Jesus uh, makes some very exclusive claims about himself that we'll, we'll show you in a minute, but if he is who he says he is, um, then, then his teaching is actually that um, he is the only way, um, and that all of these other moral teachers... Um, aren't right. So that we have to wrestle with as well. Let's take a look in Mark chapter 8. Open your Bibles there. So we're going to be for the rest of the day today. So first of all, Jesus is going to heal a blind man. Let's look at that story. It starts in verse 22, chapter 8. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And so Jesus took the blind man by the hand, and he led him out out of the village. And when he had, um, yeah, spit on his eyes. He had laid, on, and laid his hands on him. He asked him, do you see anything? Now, if you were here last week, you probably know that the spit on the eyes part maybe bothers me a little bit. Um, but nothing wrong with it. Jesus did it and did it for a reason. Going on in verse 24, and he looked up and he said, I see people, uh, but they look like trees walking. Just very dimly. Imagine if you're behind like, you know, frosted glass. You can just see shapes moving, but you can't see who it is or whether it's a man or a woman. You just know that there's people there. And so it's like there are trees walking. That's what he's seeing. And then verse 25, and Jesus, Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, second time, and he, and he opened his eyes and his sight was restored and he saw everything crystal clear, clear. Now, what's interesting about this is the only of the miracles of Jesus in the gospels where it's like there's two passes to it. And when I first read this, I thought, hmm, I have to answer to this question because I know it's going to come up with some of you, and it, is, it did with me. Why a, why a two-stage miracle here? Was Jesus just in his humanity going, you know, I didn't give it enough, and, you know, just want to ask him, are, you, are were we good? You know, like dosing somebody, so he didn't give you like a full dose, he gave you a half dose, are you doing, well, I see a little bit better, and then he just gave him a full dose, and kind of like, okay, now we're good, right? You can see clearly. 
Uh, well, no, <laughs> that's, that's, not, that's not why he did it that way. Why did he do it that way? Well, in order to understand, you have to back up a few verses in, in Mark 8 to the feeding of the 4,000. It's in like verses 1 through 10. And in the feeding of the 4,000, when uh, they were asking Jesus about it, he said in verse 18, having eyes do you not see? Having eyes do you not see? Do you not see? You have eyes, but he's, he's asking this rhetorical question, but you cannot see. You are blind. You, you have, do you not have ears to hear? Can you not hear? You have the physical organs, but you aren't using them. You're not dialed in or tuned in with your organs. And do you not remember? He's saying, basically, how can you be so blind after having been with me so long? Do you not understand anything that I'm saying? Then the very next section is him going on to heal this blind man. And I don't think that Mark positions the two or that the two are, are disconnected. I think they're connected and woven together for a reason. And the reason is this, is because sometimes it's the cloudy vision. Jesus wanted to illustrate that sometimes we're completely blind. We can't see it. We can't understand it. It's completely foreign to us. We don't have any idea what we're doing. All right, some of you, quantum physics. I don't know, like what that is. I heard about it. Explain it to me. Can't explain it to you. I don't understand it. I'm blind to quantum physics. I might experience it because I'm living in it, but I don't understand it. That's, that's kind of that opaque vision. Some of you guys, you know, you see crystal clear. Uh, we have like a physicist guy, like a physics major guy. He's, his name is Ross. He comes here. Ross, is he here right now? No? Ross, yes, brilliant guy. Ross is brilliant. Ross could explain quantum physics. Couldn't you, Ross? Okay, see, he could. So, so for him, it's more clear, right? And what Jesus is doing here is he's saying that, that, uh, that sometimes there is an opaqueness to our vision, and then, and then we, he wants to bring us into fullness of sight, fullness of sight. Sometimes we just see, but it's, the Bible says we see dimly or as, as through a glass, darkly, uh, opaquely through a glass. And that's what the blind man experienced. He was partially healed. He saw trees walking, and then he was fully restored. And then Jesus said to him in verse 26, um, he says, go home. Go, go to your home. Don't even enter the village. Don't go near the village. <laughs> it seems kind of weird. It seems like Jesus is putting a gag order on the guy. <laughs> you know, like, It's kind of weird when you think about it. But the timing is critical in Jesus' ministry. He says, it's not my time. It's not time to reveal it. And so very simply, Jesus said, you know, don't tell anybody Uh, but the guy was fully restored in his vision. That's going to lead us into our focus text in verse 27, and we're going to find out what happens right after this. Again, everything is strung together for a reason. Okay, first of all, you have Jesus saying, you guys are blind, you, you, you have ears but you can't hear, and then he says, okay, bring, you know, he touches this blind man and he heals him in two stages, and the next thing he's doing in 27 is he's walking with his disciples to the village of Caesarea Philippi. Next thought in this, in this uh, string of thoughts, and on his way, he asks his disciples what may seem at first to be sort of a um, PR question, um, who do people say that I am, you know? Like, uh, are they tweeting about me? You know, do they, uh, do they get me? Do they understand me? It seems like that may be what he's asking. And they told him. They said, you know, some of them think that you're John the Baptist, something that you're Elijah, and something you're a prophet. Now, so the Jews were awaiting somebody like Elijah to show up in power and show the way, provide the way. You know, like, 
John, John the Baptist, the Bible says, actually fulfilled that. And so, so they were wrong, but they, that's what they thought. They thought maybe Jesus was a John the Baptist. Others said, you know, okay, he's Elijah or one of the prophets. He's a really uh, spiritually dense person. Like he, he has, he's tweetable, he's quotable, he's, he's spiritually profound. There was something about Jesus that he seemed like he could be a prophet. There's all these opinions on who he was. There's all these theories about who Jesus was. Boy, that sounds like the Discovery Channel or the History Channel, right? I mean, I'd be so upset at that stuff. Like, you know, I, I, I just, it, I don't know. I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. But I mean, it's just crazy, like all of the different theories that people have about Jesus, you know? Well, Jesus was a little, you know, uh, I, I turn on this one. Um, uh, this is, you guys are lucky to be in the second service because I can say these things and not worry about going too long. But there's this uh, the story called the, or the idea called the Gnostic Gospels where Jesus is making these little clay animals out of birds and he's releasing them into the air. And that's because one of the early heresies in the church was um, the Gnostic Gospels. And so... Um, and so this idea of like this very mysterious Jesus who really wasn't grounded, didn't have a physical body, but he was super like ethereal and he released birds and all this just crazy stuff. But there's all these opinions about who Jesus is. But then there's the Jesus of the Bible, which is what we are focused on right now. And so here's the question though. Here's the question that he says. And I think the setup is in verse 29. And he asks them, he turns to them, he says, but, you know, who do you, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And of course, Peter gets it right. He says, Jesus, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus, you're the Christ. Who do you say that he is? Now, all of eternity really pivots on that answer. Because if Jesus is just a good teacher, then we're kind of messed up, right? There's There's no forgiveness of sins in that. There's just more education. Either Jesus is who he says he is, or he's a good teacher, or a moral leader, or we have to wrestle with him on a level intellectually in order to get to him spiritually, but then there's blindness, so how do we get beyond the spiritual sense of who Jesus is? There's all kinds of questions there, but I wanna kinda walk us through the answers a little bit. Let's consider Jesus for a moment, and I want you to, uh, first of all, understand that he, he claims some very exclusive things about himself. There are some exclusive claims about Jesus, and he's very direct. Let me show you in, in John 14, starting in verse 6, he says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's pretty direct. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also, and from now on you do know him and have seen him. Jesus says, you want to know the Father? Look at me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Some people say, well, that sounds really intolerant. That sounds like Jesus is pretty exclusive, that he's pushing a lot of people away, and he's saying, there's only one way. Yeah, that's what Jesus is saying. There's only one way. And that's what sets Jesus apart. Now, I feel like at this point I have to go back and give you a really quick like run through of world religions. I'm not going I'm not, to, I'm not an expert at this, so I'm not going to spend too much time on it, but in world religions, there is some, there's some truth to just about anything, right? I mean, you, there, there's some truth to it, and there's actually a lot of beauty in some of the world religions. There's some fascinating aspects of many of them. Uh, there are, uh, culturally, I'm fascinated by them, so just starting off with that, I'm not here to put anybody down or uh, to diminish anything, but I want to illustrate this, that they're not the same, okay? They are not the same. 
Everybody says everything's the same. There's so, so, so much common ground. There, there's really not. And let me just go through them really quickly. Number one, one of the oldest world religions is Buddhism. Buddhism is one of the major world religions. I, I, don't, I can't tell you exactly how many adherents, but it's a massive, massive amount of people are Buddhist. And so it was started by a prince in India. His name was Siddhartha Gautama. And he was raised in a palace by his dad. His dad was trying to protect him from seeing any kind of suffering. So he was really sheltered, like in a massive way. Uh, never got sick, never was allowed to go outside and see the way that suffering and humanity actually lived. And he was really put in this amazing situation where uh, he grew up outside, not seeing anything. And then all of a sudden he, he, he was able to, he somehow was able to witness suffering and he couldn't process it. And it was not like incredible moment of understanding that people are suffering in this world that he had to wrestle with it. So uh, he, 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 uh, nothing is fixed in Buddhism. Nothing is permanent. And so actually, you might not know this, but it, it, there's no even a, an existence of a deity in Buddhism. So it's just the idea of the cyclical um, rebirthing until you extinguish uh, desire. So you get ultimate insight. Uh, and again, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm just giving you an overview. I'm not trying to go to the, this, this will have to be a little bit of generic. I understand there's different schools of thought in that. Uh, then there's Hinduism. Hinduism is very, very different from Buddhism. They, they share some common roots and some common geography, but they're quite different because, again, in Buddhism, there's no deity. Actually, in Hinduism, there's over 33 million deities, 33 million lowercase gods. All are accessed through an impersonal material representation, like an idol, a statue, some kind of a visage that you would, uh, you know, there's all sorts of ways that you access them through that. Hinduism and Buddhism both do not offer, don't operate around this idea of forgiveness of sins because there's no idea of sins. There's no spiritual help for you. Um, there, is, there is the concept of karma, which we are completely have misunderstood in Western society, but basically the idea is that good and bad things perpetuate in life cycles. That's what karma means. And so then finally, we get to like the monotheistic world religions. Uh, Islam would be one of the major ones. Obviously, one of the Abrahamic religions. In Islam, uh, in, in contrast to uh, Hinduism, there are no idols. There's, in fact, there's no images at all. There's not permitted, not even permitted to create a, a, a shape or anything that would suggest a form or, or anything of a, of a deity in, in, uh, or in Islam. No, no prophets, not God himself, any, anyway. Uh, so uh, then you're standing with Allah, and Islam is based stri strictly on your religious devotion and your work. So you will be devoted to Allah. You will submit to him, which is what Islam means. It means submission. And then through your religious devotion, then your standing with him uh, is proven out. And that's, that's Islam in a nutshell. I know I understand a lot more about that than, than I can go into today. And then finally, we have um, the, the New Age religions, which is, or um, syncretistic religions, where she's kind of pick and choose. Remember that? She's like, my boyfriend just picks and chooses what he wants to, puts them together, you know. And many of us do that, or many in our culture do that. That's New Age religions. It's um, a modern blend of Eastern or Western religions. There's no personal God. who's so not a personal God. That's most often a belief that there's a higher consciousness, and we're just evolving, getting better through time, uh, which I contend is the complete opposite of the reality is that we're devolving. We're constantly in a state of uh, de-evolution. And so um, then you have Christianity. It was a contrast to all of that. And again, very, very different. Who Jesus is is very, very different. In Christianity, you have a personal God, a God that has exposes us to himself through the love of Jesus Christ. So Jesus is 
coming to us and he's showing us, exposing God's love to us. It's based on the forgiveness of, of, of sin. So this, the idea of sin is very prominent in Christianity. And, but the sins can't be forgiven through religious effort. It can't be because we're good. It's actually because God starts as good. We're wicked. We're evil. And so it's the goodness of God and the wickedness of mankind. God, because he's good, um, he forgives those sins through Jesus Christ and restores us to him. Now, so again, there may be some beauty to uh, these world religions. I, I grant you that. I, I think they're fascinating. But they are not the same and they are not all true. They're not all true. According to Jesus, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So when somebody says it doesn't matter what you believe, as long as you're sincere, as long as you're just, you know, pretty good person, you're going to get by, that's not true. And this is the thing, like, I understand that I'm losing some of you right now because you are in that camp. You really don't believe, what, what someone believes doesn't necessarily matter to you. And what I want to say is this, I, wanna, I want you to consider for a moment Jesus. Now, I'm not asking you to consider our church. I'm not, I'm not asking you to consider our denomination or anything like that. And not even, I'm not even asking you to consider Christianity because Jesus didn't come to found a religion. Jesus didn't come to plant a church. He came to reveal the love of God to us. And so I'm going to ask you to consider Jesus himself. In fact, I'm going to ask you not to even consider other Christians because I know I understand that some represent Jesus really well. You might see meet one person and they're full of love and compassion and, and they're re- reflecting Jesus really well. They're a good representative of Christ. But then you can meet someone else who's narrow-minded, hateful, bigoted. Um, you can turn on Christian TV. Some of it is really, really scary. But consider Jesus consider Jesus. I'm asking you to consider, number one, the ministry of Jesus himself. How did he live? What did he teach? How did he act? Consider the ministry of Jesus. In Mark chapter 2, kind of backing up a little bit, if you'll remember, we read this passage before, and it was in verse 16, and the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners, oh no, gross, right? And tax collectors, he said to his disciples, why does he eat with these tax collectors and these sinners? And what Jesus, when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Let that hit you for a minute. Jesus came to create a Holy Ghost hospital, and Jesus is different. Jesus is other. Jesus is different. To those whom others have despised, to those who the Pharisees despised, that religion rejected, Jesus loved them. Remember the woman caught in adultery? And they had the rocks already, and they were going to stone her, and they were like, Jesus, who's gonna, who should cast the first stone? And they're like winding up, and they're, they're sweating. They're getting ready to just huck this stone at, at a woman. And Jesus, we don't know what he wrote, but he wrote on the ground. And then they left. They dropped their stones. They walked away. We don't know what what he wrote. He might have written the names of the people that those guys had been with, maybe some other women. But they left. And he said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Jesus came to open eyes blind. He came to um, make the, the mute to speak. He touched lepers. Jesus was the kind of person that was consider. He, 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 he was considerate toward those who the rest of uh, 
the culture was ignoring, right? He faced the woman at the well, a Samaritan woman. No, no Jewish man in good standing would speak to a Samaritan woman, and Jesus did it and showed her dignity and love and kindness and softness to her. Jesus, the ministry of Jesus was extraordinary, and it serves as, as an example to us, but that's not all that I want to mention. Some of you guys, he, Jesus performed lots of miracles, there's no doubt about it. Have you ever stopped to think about this? Some of you, you may be a miracle of Jesus' ministry. You might be. I am. At 16 years old, I didn't know Jesus. My dad had gone away on a job uh, assignment, and he was away from our family, and I took that as an opportunity. He was a pretty good kid to be, like, basically flip a switch and just go massively rebellious was not a Christian, was living a complete lie. I mean, honestly, a complete lie. I mean, I was, I was, I was lying to my, to my mom, lying to my sister, lying to everyone that I knew, um, cheating, drinking like crazy. In fact, one, one night I drank an entire uh, fifth of liquor and, uh, and I was in, in the hospital for four days. There's other things that I did. And, and it all led me down to this very deep, dark place. And, and, uh, and, and, I, and, I, and I remember thinking that, like, I can't keep living like this. I'm depressed. I'm hopeless. I'm helpless. And in that moment of helplessness, Jesus showed up. And I'm here to tell you, like, I, I really am, you guys. I'm a, I'm a miracle of the ministry of Jesus. Are you? Some of you are like, oh, I don't have a radical story like that. I grew up in the church. You're a miracle of the ministry of Jesus. The fact that you didn't have to experience those things. I'm glad that's not your testimony. I'm glad for whatever testimony you are, you have, but are you a miracle? I think so. And here's the thing about my story is like, I'm, an, I'm not just a better version of myself. Like I, I, Scott, I was Scott before and I had some, I had a drinking issue and I'm a lot, you know, and then all of a sudden I'm a new, you know, I'm, I'm a better version of that. I, no, not at all. I'm a new creature. I'm brand new. A completely new person, and that's a miracle to me. That's the ministry of Jesus. The second thing I want you to consider is the resurrection of Jesus. Now, God loves you, but he hates sin. He hates anything that isn't holy and pure like him. Any sin whatsoever, God doesn't like it. Even the big stuff, right? Yeah, genocide, God hates that. that that's easy. We get God hates that. We all hate that. But what about the small stuff, the lying, the, the, just the dishonesty to yourself, the pride, the covetousness? Anybody covet in here? Yeah? You know, that, God hates that too. But, but Jesus came and he was without sin. Uh, he died the death that you deserve. So let that sink in for a second. There's a, there's a biblical concept, and the word is actually translated this way in some translations, in particular the ESV. It's the word propitiation. It's a big word, but what it simply means is that on Jesus rested the wrath of God for the sins that we deserved. Jesus paid the price. He died the death that you should have died, and so that you can live with him in glory. The stone was rolled away after he died. The tomb was empty. He rose from the dead. And this is the part of the story where, honestly, if you get people through the fact that, okay, he was a great teacher, okay, yes, I get that. And then he was, uh, you know, he was a radical. He did lots of miracles. Okay, I get that. And then, uh, and then he, he died on the cross. Okay, he died on the cross. You get to the resurrection, sometimes people go, I'm sorry, I can't. I can't, I can't go there. Jesus raised from the dead. 
He did. He rose from the dead. I'm going to show you. There's so much I could say on this, and just for the interest of time, I'm not going to go into it. Stay for Easter. Easter, we'll talk about this. Acts chapter 3, verse 15, Peter says, and you killed the author of life. They killed the guy that created you, the cells in your body, the neurons that are firing in your brain. He created your structure. He knows you. He created you intimately. He knows you. You killed him. You killed the author of life. But God raised him from the dead. And the most important part about this, I think, is that we are witnesses of him. We are witnesses to that. And, and, and the, the reason that that matters so much is that at this time, there are literally hundreds, maybe thousands of people that witnessed Jesus after the resurrection. There were many, many hundreds of people. In fact, Paul goes on to talk about how many of them are still alive, even as Paul is an older man. And, and I'm going to, you know, I could go through all of the list of the reasons that the res- why the resurrection is a, is a rational thing. To believe in the resurrection isn't as far-fetched as you might think. But I just want to leave you with one really compelling thought, and that's this. With almost all, with almost, uh, I would say there's a few exceptions like John, almost all of the disciples, the apostles were killed. Brutally murdered, executed uh, in brutal ways, like bloody ways. Almost all of them were. John died in, on the island of Patmos in exile, so he kind of had it easier uh, in that sense. But um, yeah, John, but all of them were executed. Seldom will anyone, seldom will anyone die for what they uh, believe to be the truth, right? There's some things that you post uh, like passionately on Facebook about, some policy issues, you know? But I mean, would you, would you die for that? Like, Climate change, would you die for that? I mean, you might feel passionately for it, but you lay down your life for that. I mean, people will sometimes do that. Sometimes they will. Not very often. When they do, it's often considered heroic. Seldom will someone die for what they believe to be the truth, but never will someone die for what they know to be a lie. Never, never, never. And yet, History shows us and extra-biblical records show that almost every single one of these early Christians met, uh, the, met their death by execution. Why did that happen? When they saw Jesus Christ. Why is it that Peter is saying, here, I saw, the, I witnessed the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And you know that Peter was crucified, remember, upside down because he didn't want to be, he felt it, he, he wasn't worthy to be crucified like Jesus because Peter saw him. Peter believed him. And uh, Thomas is my favorite because I kind of relate to Thomas. Thomas the doubter. Thomas the empiricist. He wanted to like touch the hands and see, you know, I want to feel, is Jesus, is that real? And in doing so, you know, Thomas believed. Thomas, I don't know if you knew this or not, but he was the first evangelist to the continent of India. Thomas was. And history says that they drove a spike into his abdomen because he would not renounce Christ. How did that happen? How did Thomas not because he knew what he saw was real and true. I think that's so compelling. There's many, many other reasons. There's archaeological reasons. There's other kinds of reasons. But I I think that's the most compelling, to consider that the resurrection of Jesus is real. And then finally, consider the eternal message of Jesus Christ. And this is the most important because you can get from, so consider the, uh, the ministry of Jesus, consider the resurrection of Jesus, but then consider the eternal message of Jesus, which is Christ plus nothing, right? So 
we, we throw all kinds of things on top of Jesus. We throw in on baptism and church membership and giving and, and politics and getting rid of all your bad stuff. And we, we want to just throw all the stuff onto Jesus. And honestly, like Jesus by himself is who he is. He is the son of God. He, he made the claim. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the father but through me. Christ alone. Christ is sufficient. And he stands alone and he calls us exclusively to come to God through him. Now, religion says, if I'm good enough, if I do all the right things, then I can get closer to God. And the cross says, Jesus says, that you can do all the right things and you still will have an eternal chasm between you and God. There's not enough good things that you could do. In fact, there's nothing that you could do to cause God to love you anymore. There's nothing that you can do. But conversely, there's nothing that you can do, listen, to cause God to love you any less either. So Christianity is a response to who God is. It's a response. It's not a religion. And for some of you, you're like, wait, this is, this is really too good to be true. I'm telling you that Jesus is too good not to be true. Jesus is amazing. Now, no person would make up a story like that. I'm sorry, no person would make up a story that we are basically wicked, evil creatures and that God would become one of us and he would die in our place. Like, that is a crazy story, but that's the story of the gospel. And Jesus is real. He is alive and he is here in this room. And I want you to feel as if you felt anything all day, like, this point, Jesus wants us to know him, and he wants us to love him. How many of you guys, you'd have to say, I'm far from Jesus? I don't know him. I know about him. I don't, I don't fully believe in him. I want to pray for you. I want, I want you to go away from this place closer to Jesus. I want you to know him like I know him. I want you to be one of those miracles. I want it more than anything for you. The question is, do you want him? Do you need him? Pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, that you gave us minds that we can think, that we can explore, we can question, we can ask questions. I think it's amazing, God. You actually, um, you honor that we ask questions all the time. You honored the Bereans for checking the scriptures. You honored, um, all kind, you honored Thomas for doubting, and, and you answered his doubt. But God, here's the thing. Sometimes there's not a rational reason. There's, there's this experience that we need to have with you. And, and, and God, right now I pray that the Holy Spirit that gives the experience would begin to pour into the lives and the hearts of all those in this room today that are seeking, that don't know you, that, that God, that they would go away from this place and the very first hot priority on their heart and their minds today would be to get alone in some place in their house, in, their, in a coffee shop, with a Bible, wherever it might be, in a quiet place, God, and to seek you and to ask you, Lord, God, reveal yourself to me. Reveal yourself to me, Jesus. I want to know you better. I want to know you. I want to know you the way that Pastor Scott talked about knowing you. I want to know you the way the Bible talks about knowing you. I want to know the power of your resurrection. I want to, I don't, I'm not, I'm not satisfied in my life. I know there's a missing piece in my life and I cry out to you. I need you, Lord Jesus. And Lord, I pray for that person that prays that prayer, that earnestly prays it, God, that you would honor that prayer by pouring into their life inexplainable, unexplainable joy, 
God, that peace that passes all understanding in Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.